Uh, I want to ask you if you would open your Bibles. Uh, we are in Psalms uh, 29 today, uh, continuing on in our series, Psalms Through the Summer. And uh, I do want to just bow again and ask the Lord to help us as we study His Word. I, I know that I have nothing to say if the Holy Spirit of God does not speak through me. So we go to Him and ask for His strength now. Father, this is Your Word, words that You put on the mind and into the pen of King David. As he looked at your world and saw what it revealed, he saw that it revealed you. God, may we too have a greater understanding of you because of your revealed word. May we know you better. Uh, give us our best attention. Give us skills to hear. Give us hearts to learn and to obey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want you to think for a moment, uh, if you could recall for me, the greatest thunderstorm that you have had the privilege, I'll say, the privilege of encountering. Uh, if you've ever been in a really good one, uh, then it won't take you long to remember it. Uh, I've been in a couple good ones. One I will never forget. Uh, I was about 10 or 11 years old, and my parents uh, work with a missions organization called the Navigators. They have for a little over 30 years now. And uh, the Navigators headquarters is actually in Colorado Springs, along with the headquarters of everything else under the sun. Um, but that's where it is, and uh, there's a place there called the Glen Erie, which is just beautiful. It's right next to Garden of the Gods. It's just amazing terrain, it's very high elevation, lots of uh, dry heat, especially in the summertime, and it's prone to thunderstorms. And so I was in this beautiful place called the Glen Erie that's got um, this castle that goes back, I think, over about 100 years. I'd have to check on that, but it's a very old castle. Uh, and then, a, you know, an old carriage building and cabins and all of these just beautiful places in the most serene setting you can imagine. Bighorn sheep come right off the mountains and graze on the lawn in front of the, the castle there. I mean, it's, it's just surreal. Uh, well, we were there for about a week, and we were staying at a cabin out near the entrance uh, at the Glen Erie, and um, I had a friend of mine who was staying in another cabin called the Eagle's Nest, which is right at the base of this, this red rock canyon with a wraparound porch, and then above it is an eagle's nest, thus the name. And uh, my parents had a meeting for the evening, and I did not want to go. And so they had arranged that me and another, another guy about my age were going to hang out uh, that night at the Eagle's Nest Cabin, because that's where they were staying. So they drove me in from the front cabin, which was about a mile away, and dropped me off uh, at the Eagle's Nest, where I was to meet with my buddy. And then they left, and they rolled off to uh, the conference that they had for that evening. And so I went up to the door, and I knocked on the door, and I knocked on the door, and knocked on the door, and nobody came to the door. And so there I am standing at this cabin, and it's dark, and it's uh, quite dark, and um, no one's there, and my parents are gone, and I'm a mile away from the cabin that we were staying in, and uh, so, you know, after a little bit of contemplation, I think, well, it's, it's time to walk home, you know, it's time to walk back to our cabin. So that felt like a pretty big adventure for 11, you know, 10, 11-year-old. So I get walking, and uh, along the way, it was like the sky just cracked open. I don't know if you've ever been in one of these kinds of storms. But lightning was hitting inside the canyon. And the thunder was just, it was not like, you know, big booming rumbles far away. It was like that electric crack and crackle, if you've ever heard that. It's, it's just distinct. You feel like this is a manufactured noise. This is like, a, you know, a synthesizer or something. This isn't even real. Uh, it was terrifying. And um, 
And then after a few minutes, uh, you know, the heavens opened and the waters fell. <laughs> and so here I am, this 10 or 11-year-old kid, uh, started off walking through the canyon on my way home. And I want to tell you, when all that started happening, I was on a full gallop. I was booking it back to our cabin. Just, you know, tears running down my face. Ah, you know, I was flat scared. Uh, my sister was at the cabin in the front, and, and when I got back and, you know, stormed into the door, she's looking at me, and, you know, she's scared just being inside. Well, I've been out in it, baby. You know, I was, <laughs> it was rough. It took me a little while to recover from that one. Um, maybe you've been in a storm like that. Uh, I bring this up because a thunderstorm like that of this magnitude is actually the inspiration behind David's psalm here in Psalm 29. It's what he sees, and it's what captures his mind and causes his mind to go heavenward and to think uh, of God. He's witnessed this awesome thunderstorm coming off of the Mediterranean Sea and then basically moving north across the land of the Canaanites. And he's describing the storm as it sort of hits these different regions and has its impact. Um, and And this display of power that David witnesses, it causes him to think of God who is enthroned in heaven. And to see him as the eye of the storm. That is its source, its cause, and the true power behind every power. And so this, this storm's emergence is not presented to us as some blind weather pattern or the result of some pagan god. But it's the result of Yahweh, his divine command, his divine voice. And so we are reminded through this psalm of his power and to give him praise for his power. That this earthly power would show us God's power over all the earth. The genre of this psalm, you can turn over your handout and look at the back. This is a psalm of general praise, uh, which might sound funny. You might think, aren't all the psalms you know, general praise? Well, no, they're not. You've seen some laments and some, uh, some other kinds of things here. But general praise is distinct from uh, descriptive praise. Whereas descriptive praise would look at something that God has done and thanking him and praising him for it. General praise would look at who God is and praise him for being himself. And that's what we find here. It's a general praise for God being God. Um, Most of the psalms of general praise, uh, there's a handful of them as you can see in your handout, uh, they will begin like this one with an observation of the natural world. Uh, We see this in Psalm 8 and Psalm 19, which you're probably very familiar with. And they they will see this power display in the natural world and then they will praise God as it sort of manifests and shows who he is and they'll praise God for his greatness. Uh, I chose Psalm 29 simply because it's not as familiar as the other two and I want to expose us to the passages in scripture that we may not be as familiar to. Uh, But since many of you ran the race last night and will be slipping off into a coma shortly, I'll give you the bullet up front again. The power of God revealed in nature, that power revealed in nature is at work bringing peace to God's people. That's what David would have us see. The power of God revealed in the natural world is at work bringing peace for God's people. In other words, as you and I look around and we see God's power on display in the glaciers of Alaska or the earthquakes that we frequently get or the thunderstorms, in fact, the forecast is calling perhaps for a thunderstorm this afternoon, which would be awesome. Uh, that when we see these things at work, that our minds should think of the power of God who works for us. 
who spends himself for us. Let's read the psalm. Psalm 29.1, a psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. So we enter this psalm with a very interesting call to praise. The angels are called to worship. They're called to worship the one enthroned in heaven. That's what Mighty Ones references here. It references the angels uh, in heaven. And I don't, I don't know about for you, but for me, when I see this, I think that's a fascinating thing, that David calls the angels to praise. Uh, does he have the prerogative to do that? Do we? I don't, know, I don't know about that. I don't have answers for my own questions here. Uh, but it's a fascinating scene that David calls the angelic hosts to praise God for who he is. Um, what we do find in this particular psalm, and the way that it's laid out, uh, is a literary device known as an inclusio. Uh, it's kind of like bookends or brackets. So that the psalm begins in the throne room of heaven, with God enthroned there above all. And then we find sort of this description of an earthly phenomenon in this storm and its impact and sort of what we experience. And then it ends again with two verses that look at, once again, God enthroned in heaven. Uh, And these literary devices are really helpful because they're like clues, they're like hints, so that we would see what the psalmist wants us to understand. And David wants us to see this earthly phenomenon and see the power on display and recognize that it is from God above who is enthroned on high. From the beginning of the psalm to the end of the psalm, that's what's bracketed. That God is enthroned in heaven uh, and that these things show him there. We see his power on display in the earth and we are to praise God who is enthroned in heaven. Uh, Specifically, the praise that he Uh, asks for or he calls for here is to praise God for his glory and his strength. And it's almost like David is enlisting the help of the angels as though he is is wanting to make sure that his praise would be adequate so he calls on them, which I think is interesting. Um, You and I do something like this quite a lot. Maybe we'll talk to someone that we love and that we care for and and, um, and maybe they're a connector to somebody else that we, that we know in common, and we would say to them, would you, oh, please give my best to your family, right? Or say hi to the kids, or please pass on my love to your mother, something like that. And we would sort of enlist this help of a messenger to convey what we want to uh, sort of get across here. Um, my 83-year-old grandmother 
uh, Laura Johns from uh, Traverse City, Michigan. Uh, this woman is a force of nature. Uh, she is the most active 83-year-old I know. She still walks three miles a day. Uh, she snow, snow blows her own driveway. Um, you can't stop her. She, you know, you can't stop her. She's a force. Uh, but uh, she, did ha- she had a fall the other day, and she broke her kneecap. And um, uh, you can't stop her. <laughs> Uh, so she traveled from, San Diego, or from Traverse City, Michigan to San Diego to stay with my folks so they could help her for, uh, with her recovery and whatnot. And, uh, you know, it's hard to hear of that because she's so active. Um, she, she's just such an active woman and she's just been so powerfully at work in her home church for decades, just decades. And, um, you know, so I'm able to call my folks and say, oh, please pass on my greeting to Grandma please tell her hello. Please tell her I love her. Show her my care and my love. I can't be there. Please do that for me. It's almost like David's doing the same thing. It's like he's saying, angels, you're in the throne room of heaven. And I'm not there. I can't be there. But you're in the very presence of God. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And I love that, that, la- that last line there. Praise him for his holiness. In, the, in his presence, in the presence of his holiness, praise him for who he is, for the glories due his name. Again, David is witnessing the power and the majesty of a mighty storm coming off the sea and hitting land. And as awesome as it is and as terrifying as it is, he realizes that it's only a dim shadow of the glory of God who is in heaven. It's as though he's looking at it and he's saying, I see this, but you see him. Praise him. Ascribe to him the glory and the strength that is his. Uh, You and I have too small an idea probably of of holiness when we think and we talk of holiness. Um, We tend to think of it just as maybe the moral purity of God or that he is without any sin or without any imperfection. And that's true. Um, But the holiness of God is much more than that. It is that he is altogether other. He is not a slightly elevated version of an earthly being. He is God most high. He is the eternal God. He is the I am. He is the unmoved mover. He is the cause for everything. He is the reason for everything. He is the transcendent God. He is altogether other. We are meant to see this and to hear this when we hear about his holiness. In fact, uh, in Isaiah chapter 6, we have this magnificent picture of the throne room of God and of these, we're introduced to these, uh, sort of this group of angels known as the seraphim which surround the throne. If you want to uh, turn to Isaiah 6 and glance at this as I talk through it just a little bit. Um, these seraphim who surround the throne of God actually have six wings. And the fascinating thing is they only, they only fly with two of them. But, but two of their wings are covering their feet. And two of their wings are covering their faces. And with two they fly. But it's almost as though in the presence of God, the radiance of his glory and his holiness is too great, even for these mighty ones, to completely take in. So they shield themselves and shield their faces, but want to be in his presence. That is, I think that's what it ought to feel like when we come into the presence of God. I want to be here, but I'm a little bit scared. 
just a little bit overwhelmed, or maybe a lot. And what these angels are saying to one another in Isaiah 6, 3, it says this, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Again, it's as though the radiance of God is just too much. It's too much. And as we move into the second part of the psalm here, we, we kind of, we leave the throne room here and then we're brought into David's earthly experience uh, with this storm and all of the phenomenon that, that sort of comes out of this. And uh, that moves us to our second point, which is this, that these earthly displays of power are the Lord's. They belong to him. And they are meant to show us the supremacy of God over all other gods. In other words, he is the eye of this storm. He is the personal force behind it. Uh, David asserts this isn't just weather patterns and this is not the work of some false pagan deity. But he attributes it to the divine prerogative of a personal God. Um, and, and with this assertion, we find an interesting thing here. It's called a polemic. And I want to talk about that. It might not be a word you're used to or an idea that you're used to thinking about. But a polemic is a verbal or a written uh, attack of somebody else's belief or practice or opinion. Okay, And basically what David is doing with this psalm, he is specific, specifically attacking the beliefs of the neighbors around Israel of those who would believe in false gods. Those who would attribute particularly this storm to the false god of Baal. And we'll get to that in a second. But what we have here is a polemic attacking those, those beliefs. Uh, let me illustrate this. Uh, in a basketball game, we got many basketball fans here besides myself? There's about five of us. Okay. So all five of you, like me, were watching the NBA Finals this year, which was fantastic, especially because the Warriors won, which was great. And I, I have learned a little bit of my lesson that um, I will show my loyalty for a team after they win and not before. Because <laughs> the Super Bowl was particularly painful. Um, uh, but in a basketball game, you have offense and defense, right? And uh, when you play defense, you basically organize your team to defend your goal. Uh, you, maybe you play man-to-man or zone or press or whatever, but you're trying to prevent the other team from scoring in your hoop or your basket. And so you organize to defend. Uh, if you're successful, you get a turnover, steal, rebound, uh, whatever. Then you go on offense and you organize for attack. And specifically, you would look to take advantage of the weaknesses of your opponents. Uh, and that's what a polemic is. A polemic is an organized attack. In other words, if apologetics is the defense of the faith, then a polemic is the offense. It's the attack. And this is what David is doing here. He is delivering an organized attack, especially against the false beliefs of false deities around the area, those that would attribute some of these forces to some other god. And he's confronting them. He's saying, this storm is not from Baal, because that was the belief of the Canaanites. Uh, When there was uh, a drought or when they uh, were needing rain or water, they would uh, worship or pray or cry out to Baal. That's what we actually see happening in 1 Kings 17 and 18. We talked a little bit last week about the showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. There was a drought in the land. And so these uh, false prophets were calling out to Baal to, to uh, respond and to send some rain. And Elijah taunted him and showed him to be inferior to God Most High. Uh, and so the psalm here, in this particular psalm, David is leading Israel in worshipful attack. 
Don't see these forces and see behind them false gods and false deities. And don't just see natural phenomenon. See these things and recognize that God most high is behind them. He is the eye of the storm. He is superior to any of your false deities, pagan powers, or any earthly power. Um, I love what uh, Jerry Bridges says in his book, Trusting God. If you haven't read it, it's a must-read for Christians. Uh, Top five books probably in my lifetime that I've read. Uh, But he says this. He has a whole chapter talking about the sovereignty of God and the weather. Uh, But he says, insurance companies refer to major natural disasters as acts of God. The truth is that all expressions of nature, all occurrences of weather, whether it's a devastating tornado or a gentle rain on a spring day, are acts of God. Uh, And so that's what we're meant to see here, that each of these earthly powers on display in this natural world are presented as the personal expression of God. Even so much so that the word that would be used is the voice. The voice of God. The voice of God. We'll see it repeated seven times here. Look at verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. And in this first point here where he's, he's saying the voice of the Lord is over the waters, he again, as I've already said, he's specifically confronted the beliefs that, that storms and rain and thunderstorms, that these things came from Baal. And so as he sees the storm come in from the Mediterranean and hit land, that's what he's, he is confronting here. Uh, he's confronting the false beliefs. Uh, last week I picked on Maria a little bit from The Sound of Music. I'll pick on her again this week. Uh, and the kids run into her room scared of the thunderstorm. Remember this scene? And she makes the statement, the lightning says something to the thunder and the thunder answers back. Right? Eh, wrong, Maria. That's two weeks in a row I'm picking on her. Uh, this is from the Lord. This is from the Lord. David's storm is a revelation systematically demantling every false god and every false security. The voice of the Lord is over the forests. So he's not just confronting uh, the pagan god Baal here, uh, but something else. In fact, I think what we're meant to see in, in uh, the storm over the forest and its power over those, I think it's showing that God is supreme over our false securities. Uh, Look at verses 5 and then again verse 9. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forests bare. And in his temple all cry glory. And so we see these mighty forests. You you, you remember these cedars of Lebanon which are frequently uh, requested and and, uh, uh, delivered from far away to places that that were building great structures. These, these forests were great places of economic security and trust and pride for Lebanon. And so to, to present a storm hitting these mighty trees is a way of just showing that they are weak and anemic in the face of Almighty God. We cannot trust in these things, any security, any economic strength above and beyond what our Lord would supply. And then, and then he talks about these oaks. He twists the oaks. Um, we don't have a lot of oak trees in Fairbanks, right? Uh, or any. Um, we probably like a lot of you. You know, we burn wood in the wintertime. We uh, use, especially, uh, I basically burn all birch. And every now and then, if I get get a hold of some spruce, I'll throw it in or mix it into. I hate splitting spruce. Anybody else? 
I was not, that's another story. Um, I, but I recently had a chance to go back east in New England. I was in uh, Massachusetts in the April, May time, and um, I was staying at a, a Christian study center there called Labrie in Southboro, Massachusetts. And one of the chores that they have when you stay with them is to split wood. And I thought, oh, I can do that. I know that one. Uh, I've spent some time doing that. And the wood they had to split there was oak. Which, let me start with saying, felt weird. Because oak is, you know, that's, that's pricey stuff. That's valuable stuff. So I think. And, um, man, splitting oak is fun. Because when you hit it good with the mall, it just, just pops. But it's such a uh, tight, hard grain wood. And it has this twist and bend to it. It's so rigid. But David shows it as just this, this tree that the wind and the power of God easily twists and moves off its shape effortlessly, stripping the forests bare. I wonder if he has forest fires in mind here. I don't know. I can't be sure. He does speak of lightning and just the stripping of the forest. Uh, we're going to see some of that this summer, some more of it, aren't we? Um, And I think what David is doing here is he's maybe moving beyond just this pagan deity of Baal, but now he's moving into these sources of confidence and trust and security. Anything that we would trust in more than the Lord. Um, That is, our idols don't have to have names and faces and shrines in our home. Probably the most dangerous idols to us are the ones that are the most subtle. They're the good things in our lives, like our families, our kids, our church, our work, our earnings what we do, our reputation, our hobbies, whatever we would elevate above the Lord, whatever we would trust in more than the Lord. So David's showing you can't put your hope in Baal. You can't put your hope in these natural resources. You can't put your hope in anything save the Lord Most High. He goes on to say that the voice of the Lord shakes the mountains. And again, well, let's read the, read the passage here. Verse 5, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Syrian like a wild ox. And these two mountains that are mentioned here, Lebanon and Syrian, are pretty magnificent mountains in the north country. They rise over 10,000 feet. And uh, as we talked a little bit last week, it was the belief of, of some of the neighbors of Israel that uh, false deities... Uh, lived in these mountains, that that was their home or their abode. That's where their shrines were, the high places, right? Uh, That's why in Psalm 121, the psalmist says, I look, my eyes look to the mountains. Where does my help come from? He's not saying the mountains are wonderful. He's saying some look to them for their security. But there's no God there that can make you secure. And it's the same kind of thing here. David is showing how this storm, it can just shake the mountains. That these places that look high and and look like places of security, he likens them to animals made skittish. Have you ever seen a dog in, in, a, in a storm when the lightning and thunder are really rolling? The dog gets kind of scampery, it's barking at stuff, it doesn't even know what it's barking at, it's just uneasy, it looks crazy. Um, I'm sure cats do the same thing, but you can't distinguish the crazy because they're crazy all the time. <laughs> all the time. Uh, but David says, these mighty mountains like skittish animals in a storm, shaken. And he goes on to say, the voice of the Lord is over the desert. And I think most interpreters, and I would agree with them, although I hold this one loosely, 
I think what David is kind of showing that this, this storm comes in from the Mediterranean and it hits land and it goes over the mountains, shakes the mountains, it strips the forests and the trees, and then it goes off into the desert. And yeah, it shakes out there too, but the desert wasn't really a place where people you know, lived. And so that was kind of the far off wilderness. And I think what he's showing is that these storms kind of come in and then move out of our life and, and, uh, and move on. But David is arguing that it's all an act of God. It's all showing his supremacy over all other lesser gods and any false security. So the storm looks like a negative thing as it kind of comes in and it, it's destructive. It shakes and it, and it sifts. And I think that's David's point. He's shaking everything that we would hold secure except for God most high. And what it caused me to think about was, what if David was up on Murphy Dome? And a storm came in out of the north and he, and he portrayed it rolling into Fairbanks in the Tanana Valley. I wonder what things he would have listed here as our false securities, as our false gods. Would he have shown the, the storm hitting the forests and just burning them bare? This, something that we all love and a place of economic uh, support for some people who do forestry or whatever or get lumber from there. What about our oil fields? Would he have shown it hitting some of the oil fields? Wiping out some of our businesses? Would he have shown the the thunder and the lightning just wreaking havoc over the mountains? Would would he have pictured Denali, a place that we we look to as a great strength, or or some of the mountains that we go and recreate in and, and show the Lord's terror and supremacy there? What would the polemic be against us? What would he confront? What would he... What would he uh, sift and what would he shake? And I love how he concludes it. All in his temple cry glory. And so now that he's corrected our hearts and our minds, we've been shaken, the false deities exposed, false securities laid bare. Now we are to have a vision of God and his glory and that's to be restored. And David shows us what God does with all of this power that has been on display. He shows us again that he is enthroned in heaven But amazingly, he uses this strength and he gives this strength and peace to people. God spends his strength for his people. Verse 10, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. And and here in verse 10, we're presented with the Lord being enthroned over the flood. And the word that's used here uh, for the flood is only ever used uh, in the scriptures of the great Noahic flood. And and so I have to believe that that's what he's referring to. And I think the point that he's trying to show here is that even though that's a destructive force, that the Lord is discerning with his power. And in that particular instance, he used his power not only to destroy, but he also preserved. He also saved. He was discerning. In other words, that his power was not just this naked force that went out into the world, but it was targeted. It was specific. It accomplished his purposes. One commentator said this, God's power is presented not just as a naked force, but as the instrument of both judgment and salvation. And finally, we see that with all of the strength and with this discerning power, what does the Lord do with it? He graciously gives, and he has given it to us most supremely in his son, Jesus Christ. 
the power of God he spent by sending his son to be a sacrifice so that we would not have to die in our sins but could be redeemed. So there's an application for us in this and we're going to have a great opportunity to do this this summer. David would have us see the, the natural power and the beauty all around us in this world and he would have it direct our hearts heavenward and praise the God of heaven who is over all of these things. He would have us see that God is the eye of the storms. And there, again, there is a thunderstorm forecasted for this afternoon. And I really hope it happens because I want the opportunity to see the lightning and hear the thunder. Sorry, firefighters out there. Sorry. I want to hear it. I want to see it. I want to be reminded. I want to I feel that shaking in my guts again and remember that God is powerful. But we're going to have lots of opportunities this summer to do this. So if you're heading to McCarthy this summer, and you're sitting there in the valley and you look around you and you see one of the seven glaciers surrounding you, I don't want you to think about just the ancient beasts carving out canyons, but to think about the ancient of days who placed them there. And when you go to Denali Park and you see McKinley in all of its majesty, think of its maker. Think of the one who designed it. It's not just the force of tectonic plates coming together, but God wanted it there. When you go to Chitna and Kenai and you're after your fish and the salmon are running. I don't want you to think of just biological instinct, but think of the design of a creative God. Amazing. Uh, you, if you have the chance to go up in the Brooks Range and you're looking at some big mature ram on some impossible ancient path up in the, the crevices there, think of the one who gave him those kinds of feet to go on the heights. Uh, when you see the weather change, hopefully this afternoon, and a storm roll in, don't just think of the collision of high and low pressures resulting in a storm. But think of God, who in his grace sends the rain to fall and the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. And for those of you miners, and you're out there and you get a little bit of color in your riffles, remember that it was God who buried that treasure. When the storms come in your life and they shake your confidence in your church, your family and your friends, your government, your job, your marriage. Remember that God is the eye behind the storm. These powerful things are meant for us to see him. Let's pray. Lord, this world is magnificent, but it is not our home. Uh, we get to live in the drama of this place, but we were meant to see you. The beauty and the power and the majesty around us was to direct our hearts and minds heavenward. So God, may we see the eye behind the storm. May we see you as the majestic and creative God. May the difficulties and the beauties of this world take our hearts to the beauty of our God. We want to see you, Lord, high and lifted up. You are the Lord most high. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.